You are listening to The Gateway Church, located in Ferrisburg, Michigan. You can learn more about us by visiting thegateway.church or like and follow us on Facebook, where you can watch full services, keep up with all that is going on, and get connected. Well, this morning, we're going to jump right in. We've been in a fall series in the book of James. Uh, We have a few copies left. If you want to grab one, literally right now, you can go get one at the Connection Center. Uh, No issues um, and no obligation. This is scripture on one side and uh, an opportunity for you to make notes on the other side. And uh, hopefully this will become a treasure. And we only have a couple weeks left, but let's use those up. And uh, if you want to grab one, you can. We called this series Everyday Faith. This fall series, Everyday Faith, Life Lessons in the Book of James, and we want to make our faith work in our day-to-day lives. How many know when we're a believer, when we accept Jesus, it should help us in our interactions day by day? And as we've talked about James, the book of James, the letter that he wrote to the churches, um, we just, everybody knew who James was. He was the half-brother of Jesus. He was one of the leaders in the early church. And he's writing to churches that had left Jerusalem and uh, it really was giving a warning and giving some direction and giving some encouragement. And it really is an incredible book. James addresses a myriad of issues. We've discussed a lot of these already. He talks about issues that we all face, things like taming our tongue. How many of you ever have an issue uh, with what you say or like holding your tongue back? All right, come on, anybody. All right, all right, we're in, the, we're in good company. This is, we're all the same, right? We have issues there. How many of us have ever had a trial or temptation? Okay, that's all of us, right? And so he talks about that. He, he discusses what to do with the most vulnerable in our world, orphans and widows. He talks about being a doer of the word, not just hearing the word. He talks about judgment and not showing favoritism, no partiality, right? And ultimately, when we boiled all of these things down, week in and week out, we've had this idea that James is wanting the church to grow up, for there to be some stability within the church. James does not want us to have a worthless faith. So, James is affirming, and he's also warning in different ways. He wants the, the, to protect the roots of Christianity, not just to give it lip service, but he wants there to be fruitfulness out of our lives, and that comes from a strong faith. And by the way, uh, I've said this a few times, and I just want to encourage you, when you think about steadfastness, it's a word that you see several times in the book of James, uh, especially in the ESV uh, study uh, in that version, uh, that, that word, when, when you embrace that and when you start to have those characteristics of being a steady person, uh, that is the highest compliment you could get as a believer, to be steady in the storm, through the thick and thing. And uh, I want to encourage us that that's what we should be striving for, so for some stability, some maturity in our faith. And the uh, Lord is helping us to do that. Next week, just to give you a, a quick um, a comment, uh, we are going to finish the book of James next week, James 5, 13 through 20. And as we conclude, 
uh, we're going to take our faith and put it into action. Uh, the altars will be open at the end of service. We have been praying on Wednesday nights. Uh, our theme on Wednesday nights has been Impossible God. And we're going to bring that. If you know the scripture there in James chapter 5, verse 13, uh, talks about the prayer of faith and uh, bringing elders, laying on hands and believing for the impossible, believing for miracles. And I just want you to come prepared next week to participate and to see God move. Uh, bring someone with you that needs the Lord. And because also uh, at the very end of the book of James, the last two verses, it talks about prodigal sons and daughters. And I want you just to see it here for a moment. In James chapter 5, verse 19 uh, in 20, it says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, kind of like uh, you know, saying, hey, come back, right? Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death. Wow. And will cover a multitude of sins. And I've just been believing that this season we're going to see sons and daughters, prodigal sons and daughters, come to know the Lord. And this today that could happen, next week, through the rest of the year as we move into Thanksgiving and Christmas, this is the season to be thinking of those that don't know Jesus and to welcome them in to the fold. And so, uh, so I want to challenge us. I'm challenging myself to be mindful of those around me that need to know Jesus. Uh, one last thought before we get to new material. Uh, last week in James chapter 4, verse 17, the last verse that we studied, it said, Who, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. We didn't really talk about that verse much last week, but there's the idea that everything that James has said up to this point, he kind of is starting to conclude, and he says, look, for whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it's sin. So in other words, he's saying, look, pay attention. Now that you know your actions, your, your uh, life should change because of the power of the Word of God. And that is a challenge for us, to let the Word of God change us from the inside out. Amen? Amen. So we're wrapping up these letters, and uh, the last, uh, in the last couple verses here, or the last couple sections here, uh, James uses a little phrase, come now, uh, and he says it with a little bit of emotion. And I love this because he says it, it's not, he's not very seeker sensitive, so to speak, at this point. He's saying, look, I'm wrapping up and I want to hit it hard. And, uh, and what's great is he says it two times, James chapter 4, verse 13, and then we're going to see it in James 5, verse 1. And he's addressing the rich among us, right? And that would include all of us, by the way, and I'll explain that in a moment. And then he also moves into a section to say, look, stable people are patient people. And boy, he wants to add one more uh, idea, a sign of maturity. And so I'm excited to share today. I'm going to invite you to stand as we read God's word. James chapter 5, verse 1. We'll start there, and again, we'll see that come now, and you'll kind of get the tone of this, that he's hitting them hard. This is not easy for the first hearers to hear this. Look what it says. It says, come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. 
Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evident against you and will eat you like or eat your flesh like fire. What? You have laid up treasures in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. He's not... He's pulling some punches here, right? This is tough. This would have been hard for them to hear. He says, you have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Then verse 7, he says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth being patient about it until it receives the early and the, la- and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is at the door, standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets, the Old Testament prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And then in verse 12, he says, but above all, my brothers, do not swear, neither by heaven or by earth or by any oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Dear Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's life to us today. I pray that it would speak loud and clear, that it would go beyond our knowledge and it would sink to our hearts today, and Lord, that it would change us, that it would make a difference. Lord, grow us up. Help us, God, to take a nugget or two from today and apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated, and thank you for being here. Thank you for those that are tracking with us online. We love you. Just let us know you're here. Uh, You can type in uh, your name or just say, hey, uh, good morning, and uh, we would love to hear from you. As we look at James chapter 5, the first six verses, it's a warning to the rich that were within the church at that point. And James, he hits the topic of consumerism, being deceitful with your money, mistreating your employees, fair wages. He talks about luxury and self-indulgence. He describes what the church was doing with their resources. And really, overall, the word that kind of bubbles up that he's speaking to the rich is the word selfishness. He's addressing selfishness within the church, being nearsighted with our stuff. And now before you just check out and say, you know, pastor, I'm broke, or I'm I'm not rich, or even if you're a student here and saying, I don't even have a job. No, listen, if we're here in the, the room, or if you're watching online, you are rich. The medium income worldwide, I looked it up this week, this is Worldwide, the the medium income is $850 
for the year. Let that sink in for a moment. And if you make $41,000 or more, you're in the top 3% of all wage earners in the world out of 8 billion people. We are crazy blessed. And uh, so there's no excuse. And now James is not talking about wealth and making it sound bad. He's actually, he doesn't condemn wealth, but he gives a warning about the stuff that we have, the stuff that we hold on to. And the warning is to not adopt the world's standard. The way that the world looks at riches and the way it interacts with money, the attitudes about worth and identity, there is nothing wrong with planning and saving, right? We want to be good stewards. We, that's why we do a Dave Ramsey class in the fall uh, often. But we don't want to be consumerism, or where consumerism takes over and it becomes inward focused. How many know at an extreme, when someone just is consuming, 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 you could call that person person a hoarder, right? They just collect, 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 and uh, things just uh, go up and up and up. And by the way, the effects of hoarding, uh, this is an extreme, of course, it can lead to depression and anxiety, separation, family challenges. How many have ever seen the show Hoarders? Come on, let me see your hands. Have you ever watched that and you're just in amazement? You're like, wow. Um, What happens is those people, they get isolated, they're lonely. And what James would say, if it's all about you, if, if it's all about selfishness in regards to your money, he's saying, look, don't live that way. Do not handle money and riches with deceit. Be honest, right? Don't mistreat others, especially your employees. There should be fair wage. Don't spend your money selfishly. And on the inverse of selfishness, he's really speaking about generosity. He's saying, look, you should be generous with your wealth. Sharing. Because, like Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, Jesus said, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, which we talked about last week, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Now, full full disclosure, I'm a guy that likes some stuff. And I know some of you are as well. And for me, I have to wage war against my soul sometimes and not be selfish. I've said many times, Jessica, she's up front here, nodding her head. Um, I, I've described myself as one of the most selfish people I know. And, I, and this, this really challenges me, especially in regards to the things, the stuff, the money that, allows, that God allows in my life. Life is not about the abundance of possessions. And uh, it's hard. And some of us, it's harder than others. I like that what Proverbs 11 says as well in regards to just being generous. It says that one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Isn't that amazing, right? Another one withholds and he, what he should give and only suffers want. So in other words, let's give. Let's be generous, right? And then it says in verse 25, whoever brings blessing will be enriched and the one who waters will himself be watered and others. In other words, when you are generous, when you are, are life-giving to someone else, you are going to receive life-giving uh, um, things in return. It's just the way 
the, that God works in our lives. And when it comes to riches, when it comes to eternity, which it kind of shifts here in James, and then uh, James starts to talk about uh, the Lord's return, I just want you to know that our wealth and our possessions, uh, they don't really go with us, right? We don't take them on, and so we've got to be careful. We've got an opportunity for a short window of time to be good stewards, it reminds me of a story of a, of a guy that was a very, very wealthy uh, businessman. In fact, he was uh, so rich, and uh, people looked at him and admired him. And, and, but as he got older and had this great net worth, he got stingier and stingier. In fact, some would call him a tightwad. And, um, and he just was all consumed and, and very self-focused. Uh, and his wife, his uh, beautiful wife, uh, was walking with him one day, and it's getting towards the end of his life. And th- this wealthy man told his wife, he said, Look, my last dying wish is to die and to be buried with all of my possessions. Everything. I want it all to come with me. And, uh, and, and she was surprised by that. She tried to talk him out of that. But eventually she, she agreed that that's what she would do. And a few, few months later, uh, he got sick enough that where he passed and, and, uh, at, her, at the funeral. Uh, the wife was there with a little box. And everyone was wondering what was in that box. And uh, it came towards the end of the funeral time. Uh, the service had concluded. Just the family was there. And uh, the wife made one more trip to the casket, put the little box in the casket. They closed it up, went to the graveside, buried this man. And that later, she was asked what was going on. And she explained that her husband wanted to be buried with all of his possessions with all of his wealth. And so she explained that in that little box, she wrote him a check and said, if he can cash it, he can have it in eternity. (laughs) Apparently our resources are connected to eternity in some way. I don't know. I don't... (laughs) Jessica's just going, no, why did you say that? I said, first service, it didn't go over that good either, but I thought it maybe, maybe second service, you guys would be more alive, but uh, whatever, all right. So the point, we're all rich. We want to be people of generosity, and you can't take it with you. And so let's be good stewards on this side of eternity. Amen? Amen. All right, so then James, he continues in chapter 5 verses 12 through, or 7 through 12. And again, he's wrapping up this letter to the churches and he starts talking about the fact that the Lord is going to return. In verse 7, he says the coming of the Lord. Uh, in verse 8, it's the coming of the Lord is at hand. In verse 9, he sa- talks about the judge being at the door, standing at the door. And uh, again, that's Jesus uh, ready to judge us in eternity. And the theme then turns to patience. So we got great riches and being good stewards, right? And then patience. These are things that will help and to identify someone that is a mature believer. And you say, well, patience in what? Well, it's very clear, patience in suffering, in troubles, in trial, and in tribulation. We are called as Christ followers to remain steadfast, to be stable people. And this has been a consistent theme all the way back to James 
James chapter 1, verse 12, right at the beginning, and now he's concluding. Look what it says, James 1, 12. It says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. That's in eternity, which God has promised to those who love him. So in other words, our faith in action, our everyday faith should include a measure of patience. And this is something I think we all cannot be be honest and say we struggle with. It's easy to lack patience. Sociologically, we are less patient than previous generations. You say, why is that? A major contributor is the fact that we are so time conscious, 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 conscience, conscious, yes. I want everyone to turn over and look on the back wall. I've got two clocks that are telling me what time it is. I don't know if you've ever noticed those. And I've got a target when I should finish and, and things like that. It's just part of the way we live. And it, we, are, we are, it's like nonstop, right? And we get impatient when we are uh, bothered or when we get in a hurry. I'm reading a book, rereading a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. I'm uh, reading it with a guy I'm mentoring right now, and that we're having a blast with it. It's a lot of fun. But then this book, and I've had to read it twice now because it's trying to slow me down, but it talks about that, that our lives are just in, increasingly getting busier and busier and busier. And the busier we get, the more impatient we get. It talks about the Industrial Revolution, that when, when things started happening, often a, uh, a company might have one clock for the entire organization, for the whole factory floor. And they would blow a whistle when to start, blow a whistle for a break, blow a whistle to start again, and then a blow a whistle to go home. And people didn't have their own timepiece, their own watch or in that way. Now we live what we would call the information age, right? Or the information economy. And let's just be honest, we need to know the time. It's just part of the culture we live in. Uh, total side note, I'm curious, how many of you still wear a watch? Anybody, any watch wears? All right, all right. You're my friends. I like wearing a watch. Um, the rest of you, you probably use your phone. That's right. And there is this major shift. Now, I'm a watch guy. I still look at my phone a little bit, but, uh, but I'm, I, I could talk about watches all day, but that's not what we're here to do. But anyway, uh, but what happens is in this world, because we're so time conscious, we get impatient. We live in an instant culture. Get it now. Get it done now, right? And that's not always the way it was. Go back maybe 100 years or 500 years or 1,000 years, uh, that doesn't make sense, but uh, uh, <laughs> uh, back in the day, uh, before electricity, uh, when daylight savings time would come or when the days would get shorter and shorter, there would be a candle that would be lit, and that was all. And so it caused people to slow down in different seasons. There was different rhythms in the year. But the light bulb came along, and all of a sudden, uh, we're, 
pressing the limits. We're working longer. There are companies that work 24 hours around the clock. And, and I'm not uh, dogging that, but it's a different day that we live in, and our life is not slowing down, and we become impatient because of it. So much so that I'm curious. You don't have to raise your hand, but uh, I'm wondering, when's the last time you went to the bathroom without your phone? Because you just never, you just, you just keep on, it's keeping on, keeping on. And um, I don't know, that wasn't even in my notes, but Pastor Bobby did mention that earlier this week, and I was thinking about it in this moment. <laughs> and, uh, but anyway, sorry about that, Pastor Bobby. Uh, we live in a next day delivery, or even same day delivery society. And when James is addressing the church, he's saying, look, Patience is not a suggestion, and he gives three examples for us to glean from. He, glean, he talks about the farmer, the Old Testament prophets, and then Job. And I have a joke about this. Um, a farmer and an Old Testament prophet and Job walk into a bar. And if you want to hear the rest of it, you can ask me later, because um, it's not appropriate for me to talk about that here. But um, anyway... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ted, I'll I'll tell you later. Okay, actually, I've got nothing there. So, all right, let's talk about the farmer. Let's keep on moving. I'm struggling here, and uh, my wife is saying, "Keep moving." I know. So, sorry about that. I'm kind of wound up. I'm not sure why, but um, I'm excited to share this with you. The farmer. How many know a farmer? Anybody know a farmer? Uh, yeah, yeah, you might know a farmer. You kind of uh, look, you kind of drive through the, the fields and you think about it. Um, their work is hard work, um, but to many people, it would be less interesting, right? The point is that they have to be patient. They have quiet labor, and they trust that their quiet work is at work. And it's interesting that Jesus uses a farmer in his parables uh, a few different times, and he talks about a farmer waiting, right? It's something that a farmer has to do, that there are things out of a farmer's control, and I love it because, you know, God is responsible for the sun and for the rain. And you, look, you kind of relate that to your own life, that there are things that are out of our control when we are experiencing trouble, when we're suffering, right? And so we're talking about patience and suffering. There are things that we should let God work on and that we should just uh, let God do his work and let, we can focus on what we can handle. And the the idea is that we should trust God that the fruitfulness in our lives will come. We may not understand everything of suffering on this side of eternity, but the point is, is we are called to be patient even in suffering. And the farmer is a great example that a farmer will plant and then wait and let God do the work and then harvest, and it's a lot of work at that point. The second illustration in regards to patience and suffering was the prophets, the Old Testament prophets. And the Jewish congregations that would have received this letter, they would have, understand, they would have understood James, his simple reference here. See, Jesus had used the story of the Old Testament prophets as an example of victory over persecution. And James pretty much does the same thing here. See, the Old Testament prophets, they were in God's will, yet they suffered 
a lot. Sometimes even to the point of death through persecution. And the reason they would suffer is because they lived out their everyday faith. And the truth is, is when we live out our everyday faith and we really get a hold of that, the prophets are a good example that we can endure the suffering. See, it reminds us when we study the Old Testament prophets that God cares for us when we are suffering. You can study Elijah, for example, where these are Old Testament prophets that I'm going to talk about here. God helped Elijah with the false prophets of Baal. Some of you know the story and how God came along with Elijah. How about Jeremiah? God protected and fed him when he was arrested as a traitor and thrown into an abandoned well, left to die. But God came in and helped. How about Ezekiel and Daniel? In both cases, they had their fair share of hardships, but God delivered them. Over and over with Old Testament prophets, God was there. They, they were in God's will, but they suffered along the way. Even the prophets that gave their lives and died for proclaiming God's word, they were promised a special reward in eternity. And so the prophets are an example saying, look, be faithful, be patient, even in suffering. And then James drops the best example of all the Old Testament, in my opinion. He goes to the character of Job. There's a book in the Bible, Old Testament, the book of Job. You can read it on your own. It's broke down into three different categories. The first is his distress, where he loses everything. He loses his family. He loses his health. He loses all of his wealth. And then it, from chapter 4 through verse 31 is his defense. And he is basically on trial. His friends are, are judging him. His, uh, he has, there's this interaction with God and him. There's this interaction with his wife. And uh, all these things, and so he's basically on trial. And then at the end of the story, spoiler alert, if you haven't read it before, uh, the Lord, he honors uh, Job and his faithfulness, even in suffering, extreme suffering, and he gives back to Job twice as much as he had originally. And so God redeemed that, uh, he restored, and Job endured through this crazy suffering. When you think about patient and suffering, you think about Job, and for those of us that know the story, uh, it, there, it, it reminds me that there's no victory without a battle, that there's no peaks without valleys. And if you want to be blessed, you've got to be prepared for a battle. And we were talking about this this last week as I was studying and just kind of uh, talking with the staff a little bit. And it was thinking, okay, how could we apply this to our lives? Let's put ourselves in Job's shoes. And whether you're, you understand the story or not, he had everything taken from him, his wealth, his family, uh, his, his health. And, uh, and just imagine that that happens to you. And then you were put on trial. And the people that were closest to you, maybe a spouse or your kids or your coworkers, what would they say about the way that you react in a situation like that? Would you be patient in suffering like Job was? See, James is saying, look, there's going to be hard times. 
We're all going to go through the thick and the thin. None of us are exempt from trials and temptation. But the way we react, the, the way we can be stable and steadfast like Job was, and it's an example, it's the highest compliment for a believer, no matter what they face, that they had keep their head screwed on straight, so to speak. Stable people learn to be patient. Mature people, even in suffering, have a confidence in the Lord. And that's what J- James is encouraging, that there would be an unshakable faith even when Satan attacks. And again, God humbled Job and God then honored him. God will humble us and allow things to happen in our lives when we don't understand it on this side of eternity in many cases. But we are called to be steadfast. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Lord, the encouragement this morning for those that are rich to be generous, to be good stewards, and then to be patient in suffering. God, these are hard truths. These are hard things to put into practice. In fact, I've heard it said that you should never pray for patience because then God's going to send you a way to be patient. (laughs) But Lord... I pray that as we study your word, that your truth would come alive and that we would take steps in the right direction, that we would grow up in our faith, that we would not remain as infants, but Lord, that our faith would become strong and mature and everlasting. Lord, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Before we close with our final song and a time to reflect, I want to just address those that are maybe here or maybe even online that are tracking with us that don't know Jesus as your personal Savior. If you don't know the Lord, or maybe you've walked away from the Lord, uh, I I just want to, I know we'll talk about it next week a little bit, but it says, for the one who has wandered from the truth, Let him know that whoever brings that person back from his wandering will save his soul. And we want to cast the net, so to speak, and say, hey, if if you're not walking with Jesus, uh, we want to offer you the free gift of salvation. The Bible simply says that we're all sinners. No one has to convince you of that. We've all made mistakes. And the truth is, in heaven, even one sin would keep you from an eternity with Jesus. But God so loved the world, right, that he gave his one and only son. Jesus stepped into this world as the perfect son of God. He lived a perfect life, and he died a sinner's death. Died on the cross, and when he did that, we celebrated it today in communion. His body, his blood shed, that was for us so we can receive his forgiveness. Today, if you are in the need of forgiveness, don't delay. Today is your day. And I just want to encourage you, with every head bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around in this moment, if you're here, second service, and that's you, and you're saying, Pastor, I need that kind of forgiveness. I need to come back to Jesus, or I need salvation. 
would you just slip up your hand right where you are? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. But I just believe that God is stirring in this season and he's helping us to know him in a deeper way. Who would respond? Just slip up your hand. If you're online, you can just type it in. Say, I need Jesus. We will follow up with you 100% of the time. Anyone at all. All right. I'm going to ask that you would stand. I don't see any hands uh, this morning. Pastor Sean nailed it right on the head. When we partake in communion and we reflect on Jesus' sacrifice, the body, his body that was beaten and bruised for us, his blood that was shed for us, we are called to remember these things until he returns. And the idea is that once we've received Jesus, at that point, we become evangelists to share the good news with others. And I want to just commission you to do that. And while we do, uh, I want you to reflect on the two main points from the passage today, that for those that are rich, which that would include all of us, we are called to be generous, to be good stewards, to be honest in our dealings, to be fair, to battle selfishness ruthlessly. And also we are called to grow in our ability to be patient and patient in suffering. And as we do that, uh, we need God's help. He's the only one that can help us in these things. And so let's respond through this song. In fact, let me, I, I do want to say one other thing. If you're here and you're in a spot where you're suffering and you're in the thick of it, I want you just to raise your hand. We want to pray for you. Yeah, we've got some hands going up. If you're saying, yep, that's me. Yep. And then for those that see some hands around, I want you just to, let's just uh, pray for them. And uh, you can slide and kind of put your hand on their shoulder. Uh, and Pastor Bobby, you can lead us in this final song. God, we just thank you that you are a God who gives. And that you sent your one and only son. What a powerful reminder, Lord, to let us be good stewards of everything you've given us. Lord, let us be a good steward of the possessions you've given us, that we would be people who hold, hold things with open hands. Not just our lives, not just our will, but even the things that we have. Lord, that you're calling us to be good stewards, not just of them, but of our relationships as well. That every person that we would be pouring into, that we wouldn't see them as a commodity that just benefits us, Lord, but we would see how we can be a benefit to others, Lord. Help us to be a good steward of our relationships, of our circles of influence, whether that's at school, at work, in the home, wherever we go. Lord, and help us to be good stewards of our time as well, that we understand even the prophets waited in eager expectation for the Messiah to come, that they waited and they hoped that they were in a world where things weren't right. They were in a land of captivity sometimes, and they proclaimed a promise that never saw a fulfillment, Lord, and we thank you that we are people of the promise. That that promise that all those Old Testament prophets proclaimed, 
we are living in that. But Lord, we are waiting with our own eager expectation that there's still evil in the world. There's still perverseness in the world. There are still people who go their own way and in their own wills. And sometimes we cry out in the same way as the prophets waiting for you to return to make everything right, Lord. But let us be good stewards of the time you have given us now. That as we leave this place, we would be your hands and your feet. People who are stable and people of action. So Lord, we pray that you would challenge us today. You you would um, inspire us today, but you will also call and commission us to be your hands and feet to a lost, hurting, and broken people. And we know that as we go, as we leave this place, of good, as good stewards of what you've given us, that you will go before us, you'll be behind us, and you'll be all around us every single step of the way. Jesus, we just praise you and thank you today in your name. Amen. And thank you so much for worshiping with us this morning. You guys can go in the grace of God. We hope you have a great week. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegateway.church.